This podcast includes explicit language and situations. It is intended for adults 18 years of age and older. These thoughts and opinions are those not of any specific group, employer, or individual. Listener discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Kelly Dollinger. Justin, welcome back to Behind the Yard Sign. This is episode five. Can you believe we're on five already? Holy cow, man. This goes by so fast. Obviously, right when we were about to get started with this, a lot of (laughs) crazy things happened with our business and with COVID. And we were managing three different locations in three different states with three different kinds of regulations. And we, we really covered a lot of that and probably will still continue to since we're all very much still on that journey and things are different sometimes day to day. But I think really getting back to what our purpose was with this podcast, and I think that probably people who are most interested are on their own personal journey with real estate and possibly fairly new. So we talk a lot about marketing and branding and messaging and all these kind of business basics. And you've been in this business for a long time. And you have worked with agents for a long, long, long time now. And people come and they go and they switch offices. And talk to me a little bit about what your experience is with agents. And, you know, they want to be entrepreneurs, but they want to be affiliated with an office and kind of the clash of that Mm -hmm. and how real estate really does serve people who are looking for that radical ownership. Uh, I mean, first off, this idea of like being a beginner, while Spade and Archer has been around for a long time, we're at like 10 years at this point, we're really only three and a half four years in seattle and we're really Mm -hmm. only like one year in los angeles so yeah we are a beginner in one area we're kind of middle-aged in one area and we're old hat in the third area a lot of what we do is is trying to figure out what works well in one place doesn't necessarily work well in another and in dealing with real estate agents i have found that some real estate agents bounce they go from one agency to the next to the next to the next to the next because they're looking for the one that's going to fit best for them some agents find the office that they want and they just go with it i have found that the ones who find the office that they want and they just go with it, it might not have anything to do with the office. It might just have to do with them that their personal brand is so strong that it really doesn't matter what the office's brand is. Like if you're, you know, Joe Schmo and you work for, you know, Lovely Homes Agency, it doesn't matter if Lovely Homes is strong as long as Joe Schmo's brand is strong. And so it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to be Joe Schmo. And that's the way that it is. Going back and forth between a whole bunch of different agencies and trying to figure out which one's going to be the best place for you. Is there that much difference between each office? Like, is it going to be a hugely different thing if you're working for brand A versus brand B? With real estate agents, what's even more interesting is that it's kind of this weird setup that it's not like a normal job. You don't go in an interview, they don't hire you, you don't get paid by the agency. You actually pay a fee to be a part of that agency and they cover you with yeah. like things like errors and omissions or liability insurance or those kinds of natures. And so if I'm a real estate agent and I go to work for, let's just say Keller Williams, that I I go to mm-hmm. work for Keller Williams, I actually pay Keller Williams to be a part of their organization. They're not yep. paying me to be an employee. And then they take a portion of all the commissions that I make. And so everybody has their own structure set up. It's basically kind of like a desk fee. Really when it comes down to it, if we're using Keller as, a, as an example, Keller is the vendor, the service provider, and Joe Schmo is the client. They're the ones that are providing the services. And so real estate agencies cater to the same clientele that Spade and Archer caters to, which is real estate 
agents um, that better provide a service for them. When you're a real estate agent, you're looking for the right home for yourself. You really are hiring a vendor to be your desk, your office, your brand, to help you out. Wherever you go, there you are, right? Right. <laughs> and so if you've landed at the wrong office, how long are you going to spend there before you realize that it's not the right place anymore? And how long is too long before you're like, oh man, I've made the wrong decision. I'm not at the right office. This is my culture. I mean, that's super important venturing into business for the first time. You're, you're basically going to apply that formula, which is wherever you are, here I am. And how long do I stay here if it's not working, right? You can apply that to literally everything, yes. whether it's online presence, the branding you've chosen for yourself, anything. Opening a new office. I think it's very difficult for people who have had success in a business to continuously have a beginner's mind. And I think that is a skill. I often find myself impatient with (laughs) being years and years in and going back and being able to do fundamentals. And it can take a lot of patience to continuously do that. But the beginner's mindset that you have facilitates a lot of our innovation, right? Like there's no, there's no complacency in our business and the ability to be like, okay, we're going to start a new office, which means, and I mean, I was out there, I was scheduling you, you were in California hustling, boots on the ground, like trying to get in front of people, really launching our third location in a way that is very similar to launching any new business. Yeah, this is our third location, but Kelly, this is the fifth office we opened, uh, which sounds really strange, but we had to open Seattle twice because it burned to the ground once. And before we opened Seattle, we actually opened Palm Springs. So we were in Palm Springs a year before we opened Seattle. Palm Springs, I mean, I would love to tell you that Spade and Archer has just been wildly successful the entire time that we've been open. But I'll tell you the honest God truth, Palm Springs didn't fly. It didn't go. We had one client who worked with us for a while and then that client shut down their business and we no longer had a client down there. And so we're like, well, we don't have a client anymore. So we shut it down. But there was never a real drive to open it like we've opened Seattle or like we We've opened Los Angeles. You know, when we're opening these new offices just in this past year, like Los Angeles, we've tried different techniques that just didn't work. And then we abandoned Mm -hmm. them and we moved on. (laughs) Yeah. Even with our website, where we had put our instant pricing tool on the website, and it was like three clicks in. You had to click on three different things to get to the instant pricing tool, which when you're working with user experience, three clicks, you've lost them at that point. They're done. Like a couple of weeks after we'd done that, and our SEO provider had asked us to set it up this way because they could more easily track the the weight that they were using our website. And the SEO provider was like, yeah, you got to put that instant pricing tool on the first page. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that because they're the ones ask me to and yada 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 <laughs> and you were like all right take it down <laughs> <laughs> What we've done here is we've failed quickly. We realize yeah. it's very fast. So let's try another way. And if that way doesn't work, then we're going to change it again. Yeah. And that's the great thing about interwebs. You change them so fast. Oh, for sure. I think one of my favorite things when I follow like leadership practices or sales practices of, of major businesses like Amazon or Google, one of their principles is they'd rather fail fast and embrace innovation than stay stagnant. Would you look back and say that Palm Springs was a failure? I wouldn't say Palm Springs is a failure. Honestly, I was embarrassed when we shut her down, but I don't know if anybody else even noticed. We have a couple people that were that would say like, oh, are you in Palm Springs now? And I would say like, in this is years after we shut it down. I was like, actually, we're in LA now. And they're like, oh, LA. So, you know, it sounded great. Palm Springs was very much my pet project. I wanted to be in Palm Springs and nobody in the company supported it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to do Palm Springs. I always wanted to do Palm Springs because I loved it because I could like, you know, wear cute clothes when I was down there. (laughs) 
Sure. Which is so shallow. It's such a stupid reason to open a business. What a huge lesson you learned in that, though, is yeah. that it'll be it will be easier to facilitate a large operation like that if you have buy-in from people in your company, which is a really great thing to learn, regardless of company size or interest or industry or yes or anything. So, and I also realized that I w- I wanted to open Palm Springs because I love Palm Springs and I love being down there, and that's my playground. To put my work down there, it would no longer be a playground for me. And so sure. that's a place that I go to get away from the hustle and the bustle and all the work that I do. And so to open an office there would have been, it would have sucked. It would have been no fun ski at all. And so I'm kind of glad that it didn't go. Um, and we're able to serve Palm Springs out of our LA office, which happens every once in a while, which is great. But I don't know if I necessarily want to be a part of the business community there because I don't want to have to be at work when I'm on vacation. Trying things, having a beginner's mind is not everything's going to work. Yeah. And it's more important about what you're taking out of the not working yeah. part and deciding what is worth workshopping and what is worth tossing entirely. We work with all different kinds of agents and some of our agents are amazing and our top producers, but are not going to be the people who sit down and have a $500 steak, dinner and wine night out schmoozing clients. That's a tack that people take and other agents are very successful at that because they want that to be their life. It reflects their values. It mirrors their own interests. But we have a lot of agents who don't do any of that and are some of the realest of the most real like I've dropping kids off with my van at soccer practice and I'll be over to show you a house you know like deciding who your your people are is also I feel like a whittling away process of self-discovery too there is this contrast between authenticity and image right like what are we versus what people see of us and there is a struggle between those two things especially with as prevalent as social media is today, we do put out this image of who we are. Like in in this recording right now, like we're talking, I'm wearing a dress shirt and a jacket up top and I have like cut off sweat shorts down below and tennis shoes because I'm literally gonna go on a run like as soon as I'm done with this recording. And it's it is like it's this perfect physicality of authenticity versus image. What do we put online versus who we really are and how much do we really want to be vulnerable online to show people who we are as a real estate agent? You're not selling houses again. You're selling yourself. And how much of that do Mm -hmm. you want to be the image of who you are? And what are the status symbols of where you live in Portland? A status symbol is that you drive, you know, an electric car or you have weeds in your yard because you don't use pesticides. Whereas in Los Angeles, the status symbol might be that you have a designer handbag or that you can wear higher heels than somebody else. In Seattle, that status symbol might be that you wear a hoodie to work and you do so because you work at a place where you don't have to get dressed up. Mm -hmm. Every place that you go has a different set of status symbols and trying to apply one's area's status symbol, like trying to apply Portland's status symbols to an LA market doesn't work. It doesn't happen. And so as a real estate agent, I think we really need to examine what are the status symbols of where I live? What makes me a better person in everybody else's eyes? What makes me a good agent in other people's eyes? How do I incorporate that into my brand? How do I show them that my authentic real self without coming across as like smoothy or polished, you know? Yeah. You know, I hear so many people say oftentimes they feel like they show up in their real zone of genius when they're showing up in a way that sparks joy for themselves. You 
can have a quote successful business if you define that by monetary outcome. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people will define that success by the joy that's created from the, the function of their job and how they get to show up in it and still make a living. You know, like, so you might be the person just like can't wait to schmooze their clients and spend a couple grand on big showy things. Or it's just in the everyday mundane kind of very comfortable, oh, you know, why don't you come over for a barbecue so we can talk about listing strategy or whatever it is. I think that that creates joy for people and, and a definition of success. But if you could give advice to people maybe who are brand new in real estate or anything else with the beginner's uh, experiences you've had and tough lessons you've learned and failing fast and learning to be okay with things not working out, what advice would you give? I don't know if I necessarily would give advice, but I can certainly can speak from experience. A lot of what Spade and Archer has done to be able to figure out what the hell our brand is and who the hell we are, because it is really difficult to see the forest through the trees when you're talking about your own personal brand. It's been a, a lot of no thank you bites of like we go in and we try something out and maybe it works for us and maybe it doesn't. I remember one of the first things that I bought to put into a house was a big bowl of fake green apples. And I was like, these green apples are so pretty and they're going to look so good in this bowl. And I hired an employee and she was like, ah, those fake green apples are so tacky. We will not have fake things in our house. And I was like, okay. And after the first project, like we never had fake fruit again in the house. In fact, it became like a huge part of our drive as designers is that we don't put anything fake in houses. But I mean, when we started off, we had like, you know, fake coral and fake fruit. We never had any fake plants. But one of the first things I did when I opened the company is I bought a blow up mattress. I moved my dining room table off to the side and I set up a blow up bed in my dining room. And I tried probably 15 different ways to make that bed to make it not look like pure and total shit and was mm -hmm. never able to do it. And I was like, that's it. We are not using blow up mattresses. And that was the day we decided that we use real mattresses in every single house. And so a lot of it is being willing to go out and like spend that couple hundred bucks to experiment and try something and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't be okay with abandoning that and saying it was worth the hundred dollars to buy that blow up mattress to figure out out that that's not going to work for me. And mm -hmm. because of that, I was able to invest, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars in real mattresses. And now my staging looks 10 times better than a stager who uses blow up mattresses because they never look good. They just totally. don't ever. They and it was, never look good. It was worth the hundred bucks to figure it out. Ultimately, try anything. Fail fast. I love that. I would say for myself, with what I've learned in business, probably my biggest mistake in the beginning was I had such a sure vision for what business life was going to look like for me. I was coaching and trying to influence other people the way I myself am influenced because I thought that was the right way and quickly realized this is not working. And I think this, this is true in sales. So I think this is a very important, especially if you're brand new in real estate and you're new in sales, this is probably one of the most important things for you to learn is figuring out how people are influenced and know that it is going to be far and apart from yourself is probably one of the most important things you could ever learn. Not only that, but like in all relationships. And you know, I, I talk about sales and influence and marketing and feelings because it's all the same thing. The power of influence, and other, it's all the same. I think that that was probably my biggest fail in my early business years was realizing that I needed to better empathize and 
be more creative with discovering where people were really at and anticipating what their real needs were. As a result, it makes you much better at your job. Going through that sales process is a lot like, have you ever played that game where you blow up a balloon where you have to keep the balloon from touching the ground? And like every time it starts to fall, you just have to touch the bottom of it and just like, you know, just keep it alive. Yeah. Most of our sales pipeline is little tiny touches, little emails, little things that we send out that we say like, hey, your date's going to expire. Hey, you just you're going to get a 10 percent late fee. Hey, it's like little little things that just are like reminders to like nudge our clients back onto the right track again. And that took years upon years upon years to figure out where people tend to fall off the sales track and how to motivate them properly to get back onto the track again, because a lot of what we do is just trying to teach our clients to go through the system, right? Those are the things that like bring joy to my life is when we implement a system in our business that says like, this is how we're going to keep the balloon from touching the ground. And in talking about what you just said with the sales and the feelings and the emotions, the motivations, Mm -hmm. it's not really about the credit card payment that comes through for a couple thousand bucks or the, the escrow check that we get. It's really about those little tiny improvements that we make. So in your business, Kelly, what is the thing that brings you the most joy what's the thing that like you're like yeah i did it yeah (laughs) in the beginning i thought that it was bending them to my will sounds manipulative but again getting people to align with with my vision right and i realized that that is very much an uphill climb and what i learned over time is when we decide to do business together figuring out as soon as possible what their true goal is and if i'm actually qualified to help them and then being able to apply the skill set and my value to be a solutions provider for them and then it working out is definitely what brings me joy, 100%. So is it like the the thing that brings you joy, is it like if you can help somebody find their own path and a way to do it successful in their own way, is that what we're talking about? I'm not trying to make my customer or my client be something or purchase something that they really don't need. Yeah. I just want to give them exactly what it is that they need to help them reach the level of success they're most interested in. For us in our business, it's selling their home for more money and very quickly. That's what we do. That is what we do. And we just merchandise their home to facilitate that sale. If they were coming to us and say they were, you know, asking for something outside of home staging, they were looking for interior design work or top to, you know, something we didn't offer, then they're going to be really upset with our menu of services because we don't do that. We get asked for like Um, wedding planning and we want people who want us to come and landscape their yards. We're like, that's, that ain't what we do. Here's a recommendation. Yeah. But if they come to us and they want advice on how to sell their home faster, we have that all day long. And depending on their situation, you know, guaranteed staging makes the most sense for some people. For other people, if it's a really hot market and they know that their house is going to sell in two days, maybe it's not. Maybe you know, it's like front, we're not. Yeah. We really don't care. We really, I mean, we're super pumped that we have a guaranteed option and we have a pay it close option because it opens the door. It, it just makes staging so much more accessible to a whole swath of people. And we're super pumped that we can do that. Before COVID, we were about 60, 40, 60% of the people would go guaranteed and 40% would go pay up front. After COVID hit, we're like 90, 10. I mean, people are going for that guaranteed option because it's so risky out there. We don't know what's going to happen day to day 
it's the world is changing so much faster than it used to. And what's always really interesting to me is that people yeah. will go onto our website and they can choose through our through our instant pricing tool. Do you want pay up front? Do you want pay at close? Or do you want both? And to me, the obvious answer is both. It takes no longer to fill out the form. It's five minutes. You can get both answers. But so many people choose one or the other and not both because they right. know exactly what they want going into this process. I only want pay up front. They're going to do pay up front. Or I only want guaranteed. They're only going to do guaranteed. And whenever people do that, it's always the question that I ask is like, why didn't you choose both? And it's really interesting to find out their answers. And it makes me really happy that we kept all three of those options on there because everybody has their own way. And our job is to just give a funnel that narrows people down to be like, you are the right person to work with us and we're the right home stager for you. Here's all the options that you have. Which one would you like? And that's that's what makes me super happy. Are you ready to talk to Donna Wade? Yeah, I want to check in with her and she seems like a really kind of um, very lively, interesting person. I want some stories. I want some good ones. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's go talk to her, okay? Okay. Um, so we want to welcome to the show Donna Wade. Donna, as a real estate agent, actually in Boise, Idaho, we grew up together. I think I met you when I was, what, like 16 years old on the dance floor at the Emerald Club, which was like the only gay club in all of <laughs> Boise, Idaho. And she was like across the room. I was like, whoever that chick is, I need to know her right now. Does that sound pretty much right to you, Donna? I mean, the 90s are a little bit of a blur, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but I'm pretty sure your your memory serves, and I don't remember that. I just always remember Justin in my reality. Honestly, I don't I don't remember the first time we met. But it, it seems like you've always been a part of my childhood. Oh, <laughs> I like can I'm still a mom. think of like God, I'm old. You were a child when I was a child. We're the same ages. I know. You're 97, just like me, right? <laughs> it doesn't show. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fantastic. Now that we've gotten the relationship down, Kelly is meeting Donna for the first time today, right? Yes. Uh, this is a whole I've heard so many good things. I'm so excited to talk about our stuff today. Very cool. I am too. It was Donna Wade who coined the term flopportunity when our building burned down in 2018. Now, I take issue with that because Justin's the super creative one. We were yakety yakking like we do, and I'm sure it was bouncing back and forth. And that is when the light bulb occurred to you. So I'll take credit for helping inspire a light bulb. So that was like the worst month of my life. My building burned down. My dad got arrested for being a child molester. I was diagnosed with early onset dementia. It was not good. I had just broken my ankle. I mean, it was like a flipping mess. And I was on the phone with Donna for probably two or three hours a day for like two or three weeks. And she got me through it, man. She is one of the most insightful people that I know. She listens to people with the intention that most people speak and is just an amazing person. I love her. You make it easy, Justin, because you're a person who I'm inspired by. And I love the fact that you're able to be vulnerable and open with me and you share. And we always learn from each other. And I love that about our relationship. Okay, so we all know that you are a super big dork and uh, yeah. you've been in my life forever. Why don't you tell us a little bit about like what your education was, where you came from, the jobs that you've had, how you landed in real estate? I always wanted to be a teacher from the time I was in elementary school. And I also always wanted to be a nonprofit. 
So that was my drive when I was young. And I went on to do that. I got involved in nonprofits um, in college. I was an intern, subsequently went on to spend almost 14 years in different nonprofits from hospice to social justice organizations. At the same time was teaching as a college adjunct instructor because I got my undergrad degree in communications, which is like, and what are you supposed to do with that? I ended up getting an MBA and that helped me to become a teacher. So I juggled those two careers for a really long time, which was great because at the same time I became a single parent of my son and the sole breadwinner. So I got to follow my passions. I was making a living. It was fantastic. But being a nonprofit and teaching, well, as an adjunct, there's not a lot of places to go with that. In nonprofit, I did fund development, event planning, grant writing, and I actually was an executive director several times. And that's what I had wanted to do. I had aspired to do it. And then I did it and realized there's only so far I can go with that. Anyway, I I got ready for something else, I guess, and I hit my 40s and my son got a little older and I just was approached by a longtime friend who'd helped me buy my house and he had an opportunity had joined a team and there was an opportunity to become the assistant director of operations for the team. And with my business background, it seemed like it could be a fit. So I interviewed and I did get hired for that job. And it was a total right turn in my career. However, the job itself never really materialized. So what ended up happening is I got put in a transaction coordination chair. I have oodles and boodles of respect for people who uh, do the paperwork and processing and create systems. That was like sucking the lifeblood for me because I'm a total people person. That's where I came from. And I thought I'm going to get to do this in this new role. And no. And then I went to the team owner and I said, I got to be an agent. I got to be with the people. I belong there. I see how it works. There's great agents I can learn from here. And to her credit, she completely supported that. And it's been four years since I started that. Yeah. So like literally no intention. You you were not like, you know, dreaming of houses as a little kid or anything. Not at all. And it sounds like you didn't even get it. And you're not even really in it for the houses. Now you're in it for the people. I really am. I like houses um, a lot. It's all very interesting, but I am more motivated by the people and their goals and their objectives and the relationships that I form. That's what keeps me inspired to be in real estate. And that's why I know I'm going to do it forever because you're always meeting different people. You're always in different situations situations and everybody has a different story and I'm all about that. So I'm really curious about were you really busy on social before? Were you always attracted to engaging on social before? Is it something you picked up when you realized you wanted to do more real estate? Like tell us a little bit about how you landed there as a major like tool for That's your great work. question. I mean, I, I had tinkered in social media. To be perfectly honest, if I didn't do things in social media, I felt like I was going to lose touch. I was going to be left behind. Friends were on Facebook and friends were on Twitter and friends were on Instagram. I mean, I look back on how I utilize social media in my personal life and I would not repeat that. I learned a lot. <laughs> I've subsequently realized that I'm so lucky that I can change a lot of hearts and minds with my social media presence and my opinions because everyone cares what I think. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't care. And so it was great. When I started my business, I figured out, well, I can connect with people. I can put myself out there. I can utilize this for my business. And it's exactly what it needs to be for me. I developed my Facebook business page. I have an Instagram page that I utilize, but mostly Facebook. And that's been instrumental in just putting myself out there 
So in a bunch of your videos, and we've talked a lot about this in the past, a bunch of your videos, you're just downright goofy. You'll be spinning across the screen yeah. in a skirt, and then it's a Stevie Nicks impression, and then you're vacuuming, and, oh, yeah. and it's Ann Bennett from, what's that, American Beauty? I will sell American this house Beauty. today. Yeah, I mean, it's like you are a total goofball. Real estate agents are browbeat with, you know, you have to be a professional, you have to be a professional, you have to be a professional. At what point did you realize that, like, your brand, your image wasn't about the pearls and the and the Range Rover that your brand is Goofy Donna Wade. I made the switch when I watched one of my videos and I was bored to tears. The content that I was trying to put out there was useful. It was good content, but it was just dry as a bone. And I thought, if I don't want to watch this, no one else does. In conversations with p- other people that I care about, like you, Justin, talking about <laughs> be you. What people really want is they want to connect with you. As we you know, were talking about a little bit earlier, I'm in it for the people. So who do I want to attract? Well, I want to attract people that get it. I'm dorky and fun and goofy and also have an MBA and also have business savvy and also will advocate for you. I just, I need you guys to understand what Donna's personality is like. Can you do the rap <laughs> about you being tall? Come on. <laughs> By the way, how t- Donna's like God. six foot nine or something oh, yeah. like that. She's, She's tall. tall. She's got it all. By God, that girl's not small. Something about red beans and rice didn't miss me. <laughs> she works down at the mall. Like walking so fast, there's friction. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Something about lipshin and legs and friction and it's ridiculous. But if I put myself out there and someone encounters that and they think to themselves, you know, she's not professional, she's not polished enough, she's not slick enough. I'm thinking, well, that's probably good. That's not the kind of person that that is going to be attracted to me and that that's okay, that Mm -hmm. I don't have to appeal to everyone. That's been the most fun and freeing thing. And I have a couple friends that are newer agents and they reach out to me all the time and ask me about social media presence. I'm like, be you and be consistent, have savvy about how you're doing it and do it often and and all of that. But be real. You can be professional (laughs) and be real at the same time. Let's talk about being real. So Uh you very much like me have a headshot that is like within (laughs) an inch of fiction. I I don't know what you're talking about, Justin. I look like that all the time. Can I wake up out of bed? How do you intermix that with, you know, when you hand somebody a card and here's this person on there that is like this very idealized version. How do you like talk about that? How do you frame that? Airbrushed and softened. I actually use it as a great way to connect with people because I know what I look like on a daily basis and I know how good that photo looks and I know what it took to make the photo. (laughs) So when I hand out my card, I'm telling you, that was the best money I ever spent on a headshot. It's fantastic. I'm going to have that thing Mm -hmm. forever. I'll be that person. You will will be that little old lady with like the, is that Deborah messing on your business card? Who is that? That's me. That's me. It's vitamins. It's water. People inevitably will say, wow, that's a great photo. And so I always use it as a kind of just an opportunity to break the ice and say, I know it was the best day ever. That was the day I got that photo. And it's been all downhill since. But thank you for appreciating it or whatever. I think you can put your best foot forward and be an excellent professional and be fun all at the same time. I have professional photos taken for any listing that I have. I'm not taking that stuff with my cell phone. 
So why right. would I do that with my headshot? It's my understanding that you started off on a team environment and then you switched to a to being a sole proprietor and kind of practicing on your own. Still with a company, of course. What company are you with now? Silver Creek Realty Group. Silver Creek Realty mm-hmm. Group. If you're in Boise, they're yes. the ones to go to. Yes. Can you just talk about the differences between uh, working on a team environment versus working on your own? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Can you kind of talk about what your experience was there? I think getting your start on a team is an excellent idea. It may not be for everybody, but I think it definitely was for me. There's a lot of support. You're not trying to start everything from scratch. It's not an intuitive business. It's not something that comes with a manual. There's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of process and there's a lot of legality to it as well. And um, how you handle your license is crucial for having longevity. I got to work side by side with seasoned agents who'd been doing it forever and were hyper successful. When I was a transaction coordinator, I put together all the listing presentations. I ran net sheets. I did all the backdrop paperwork material for all of the agents. So I learned how they would go to a presentation and what they would take with them, etc. Then I got partnered with the most successful listing agent, the busiest on that team. And I learned from her side by side every single day. And I asked her infinite questions and she was amazing. That's on the job training you can't beat. From that aspect, being on a team was really amazing. However, you are also simultaneously building someone else's brand every single day. And I respect that and I get that model. It just wasn't for me in the long term because... I want to build something of my own and make it my own. But honestly, for newer agents, I I think it's a great place to start. I highly recommend it. I'm glad I got to do it. You are working on a team. You're done with the team. You go out. You're on your own. You're doing it on your own at this point. There's a voice. It's in the back of the head. And it says, you're not good enough. Your way is wrong. No one's going to hire you. You suck. There's because since you don't have a team to like pump you up anymore and like do a rah rah cheer in the morning for you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do what is what do you say to that person? What do you say to them? I say I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. That's what I say. <laughs> I say <laughs> you have to get yourself out of bed and motivate yourself every single day. When I hear those voices, I have another voice in there, at least one. And she says, this is totally natural for you to feel this way. It's it's okay that you feel this way. It comes with the territory of doing something that is new to you, that you're uncomfortable. You can push through this. Just keep going. I have mindset that I have to go back to over and over. And that's in my head. I respond to myself and say, yeah, okay, maybe you don't feel great today. Um, Maybe it's not your banner day, but you know what? You're killing it. You're doing a great job. Pick up the phone, do what you know how to do and keep going. It sounds a lot Mm -hmm. like working out or like exercising because, you know, you're halfway through that workout routine and you're like, I could just turn this off and put this weight down. It sounds to me like it is more like an every single day, one step at a time. There's never a point where all of a sudden you no longer doubt yourself. No, I think that's just a condition of being human, right? I mean, nobody is perfect and everybody struggles with discipline and that carries over into any facet of your life. It's okay to have doubt and it drives you. It's a tool. I think it's harder when you're on your own, when you're part of a team, when you're like, when I was a cheerleader and all the cheerleaders went with them, I had to push myself because I was pushing for them. It's very easy to be motivated by other people that you're going to potentially let down or that they would be hurt if you didn't push through. When you're on your own, like if you don't work 
at all today, the only person you're going to disappoint yourself. And it's amazing how willing we are to disappoint ourselves. Boy, that's true. You know? So I feel like th- that as a yeah. sole proprietor, and that's what a lot of real estate agents are, they are on their own. They have to self-motivate every single day because you're like, well, I could work. Or there's that new series on Jeffrey Epstein on Netflix. I could just watch that all day. <laughs> you know? That's some right. light fodder. Mm-hmm. But I'm always thinking about how far I've already come. And that continues to motivate me as an individual as well. It's like, well, look at what you did. You changed career streams in your 40s, did something you've never done before. You're on your own. You're doing a good business. You're connecting with people. You're happy. Your family is gaining a lot from this. Like it's producing what you're looking for it to produce and you're passionate. Keep going. I don't care what my head says one day. The next day is going to be different. And it always is. It's a new day. Uh, Spade and Archer's businesses are in Portland, Seattle, and Los Angeles, which are these little bubbles where, you know, whenever you express an opinion around politics or race or anything else, everybody around us agrees. We we are all preaching to the choir all the time. I mean, I want to reveal anything about like, you know, political status or anything, but like, <laughs> I mean, just to be in very broad terms, you're a blue girl in a red state. How do you deal with clients or vendors or anybody else that is just clearly like really different than your mindset? How do you how do you navigate that? It's a great question. And yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge when you're not surrounded by like minded people, what does that mean for your business? And how are you going to approach it? How I handle it is I'm looking at the business as a relationship business. So I'm here, advocate for my clients, help them meet their goals, and do that in a way that helps them feel as calm as possible, relieves as much stress as possible, and is an intelligent, streamlined process for them. That's what I'm focused on. I won't discriminate ever. And I tell, I talk yeah. to people about that in the process. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here, I'm here to help you find your home. What doesn't mean anything to me is sharing my personal beliefs or philosophies or esoteric thoughts. And that's how I've managed it. And I got to tell you, I mean, Idaho, yeah, I do not represent Idaho in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. But you know what? We get along. I can spit and whittle with just about anybody. Well, with so much going on online, how do you present yourself and your brand when there's so much chaos? Well, happening? I think that there's a way to try to be sensitive to what's going on. And there are times when pressing marketing efforts can feel like not the best timing. I mean, you have to read the world mm-hmm. and what's going on. I don't want to come off as insensitive right. or uncaring because I'm not. I did social media in a way that I was very engaged with people's debates and discussions and I had things to say and I don't feel compelled to do that anymore. If someone wants to have a conversation, you want to sit around the campfire and chat about politics, great, let's go do that. But I don't feel compelled to do that online. I spent like I said, many moons in nonprofit. I ran a social justice organization. I have a lot of opinions and experience. A lot of opinions. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, of just, opinions. Just. <laughs> I promise you we're almost done. Um, speaking of promises, tell me about things you would never want to do again in real estate. <laughs> Ooh. So 
When I was on the team that I mentioned, we did script practice every single day. In that particular brokerage, there are a lot of very popular leaders. So these are folks that, you know, hand down a lot of uh, business wisdom. And the uh, the phrase in that particular business model is, you know, you have to drink the Kool-Aid. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. So this was part of the Kool-Aid of the team, which was to say that I was asked to learn what was called the promise. And I can't recite it because I never learned it because I am not very good follower in that way so you're not a good you're not good at drinking oh the kool-aid man. you never even memorized it i didn't um <laughs> i know i tried i did I, I i'm a student by by nature i i i want to learn but i couldn't do i couldn't do it it was the expectation was line for line to know this full page of essentially how to ask for a referral at the closing table and it was just filled with all sorts of juicy guilt moments. And, and you know, perhaps for somebody or maybe thousands of people use that and it works for them. I just can't do contrived. And to me, it was completely contrived. If, if the idea is to ask for a referral, which, of course, is beneficial to building your business, then there's a really sincere and authentic way to do that. Learning a script is not on that list for me. <laughs> I was, in fact, and before I left the team, I had my my first real listing and the team owner had come with me so she could work with me and help me. And, you know, it was going great. And the client and I had great rapport. We got along. Awesome. So then the team owner kind of gives me the nudge like, OK, it's time to do the promise. And I mean, I butchered it. Like, I think I remembered five lines tops. And he was kind of looking at me, you know, just kind of half smiled like, with the furrow brow, like, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're great. You know, it was the worst feeling. And she just looked at me like, you didn't do your homework. (laughs) I left the team shortly thereafter. So it all worked out. But honestly, again, especially for newer agents, like that's a great realization point when you realize, okay, no, this is not my jam. This was your no thank you bite. Right. So when you're raising a kid and and you're giving them food and the kid says like, I don't want that, I don't like that. You're like, well, you never even tasted it. Right. Like we always have a rule, like you have to take a no thank you bite. You have to at least (laughs) taste it. Yeah. You you tasted the promise and you were like, that is not for me. You took your no thank you bite. I promise, no thank you. (laughs) And so honestly, like for new agents, maybe that model worked great for you. Maybe that model doesn't work great for you, but everyone should be encouraged to take that no thank you bite. Absolutely. But I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful that I got that chance. I'm thankful for all the giggles that's provided. I'm thankful for all of it. It's a great experience. Either way. I think that you and I are on that same mindset that like my f- my least favorite word of our of our English language right now is the word blessed. Oh. Um, blessed is this word that gets used just constantly. And saying that we are blessed infers that there is somebody up in whoever they are that says like, you deserve the life that you have, but yet the person who died in the street last night, that person deserved the life that they have. And I think that when most people are using that word, like I'm so blessed, the word that they're looking for is either grateful or thankful. I'm so grateful that I have the things that I do. Blessed infers that you are inherently worthy of the things that you receive and does not infer that you are thankful for them at all. (laughs) And so my favorite shirt that I saw the other day, someone had this shirt on, clearly like just gigantic uh, silicone implants and very, very tight t-shirt and emblazoned across the implants in bedazzling was the word blessed. And I was like, awesome. 
Oh, oh. Bless would infer that those things came naturally, or you could just say bot. You could just change that oh word. Oh my God, that is so funny. Tell me, at what point did you know that you had really, success is a very, it's a very tough thing. People say, you know, oh, you know, Justin, you're very successful. And I only see success as something that's happened in the past. Uh, to have success in the future, we have to keep working our asses off. When did you know that you could be a successful agent? When was the point that like it clicked for you? I'm glad you clarified that because I, I agree with you. I've thought a lot about that. The notion of when did you feel like you'd made it? I'm like, well, I think if you've made it, you're done. Right. And I'm nowhere near done. (laughs) So I haven't made it. I keep making strides every single day and I keep building on something. And that in and of itself makes me feel like I've made it because I'm building this thing progressively over time. Right. You know, I wish I had a really clear cut crystallized answer for the moment that I knew that real estate was a good decision. I don't. Um, I don't have a perfect moment. What I can tell you is when I left the team and I started my own, you know, as a sole proprietor and I started to get people referring to me and I started to make more connections and I started to be more authentic in my social media presence. When I realized that I could meld being me and doing this and helping people reach their goals, that means a lot to me. And I feel like real estate's where it's at. I had no idea that we would fall in love, but we did. And I love, I love real estate. I really do. Like I say, I wish there was one particular moment I could point to. I just know the feeling. And the feeling is I belong doing what I'm doing. And I don't want to do anything else. Tell me, I know you wanted to play what the fuck. So <laughs> I really did. <laughs> yeah. Love that segment. Um, so can you ever tell me about like a time that you walked into a house and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, Justin and Kelly. I, I'm going to yeah. tell you. It was, <laughs> I mean, yes. it's a special moment in time for me that I don't think I'm ever going to forget. And I'm glad. I love those moments in life. So I had a listing and the client had left the state. The house was vacant. The house had already been on the market for a bit, but but I was going to do another open house. And I mean, like you do, it was a Friday night. So I was going to be at the house on Saturday. It was a Friday night. And I'm like, you know, I just want to go over and make sure everything's tidy and all cleaned up and ready to go. I'm going to go take my supplies and give everything a fresh sheen before I go over tomorrow. So I go to the house. So it's basically Ann Bennett doing the vacuuming scene, right? Oh, totally. I will sell this house today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The house is dark when I get there because nobody's living there. It's vacant. So, but I always knock and I ring the bell. No response. I go in. Everything's dark. Cool. I start walking into the house, going towards the back patio doors, which are glass. And I see that there's a little campfire out back, which is very strange. And obviously I'm like, what is going on? I don't see anybody though. Just the fire. I'm like, uh oh. Are you alone at this point? I'm You're alone. By yourself? I'm all by myself. Ugh. I know. So I start to walk towards where two of the bedrooms are. And what I will tell you is I started hearing some noises. They weren't terribly familiar noises, but they were recognizable vo- uh, noises such that I was a little concerned about what was going on. So I go closer to the door and I realize there's people in the house. There's no furniture in the house. And these people are having a special experience. They could have been in the backseat of a car, Kelly, but no, they were in my listing. So did it it sound like a British ambulance silence? (laughs) (laughs) If you must know, yes. It was... uh, 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 Oh, it's a British ambulance. (laughs) 
I am not kidding you. I'm outside the door. I hear this. I'm like, oh my God. Like I'm simultaneously totally mortified and also like, wow, this is amazing. And I get the hell out of there. Like all the last thing I want is to, to have them know that I'm there, right? Like come out like, what are you doing here? I'm out. Okay. So, oh my God, that is so We've funny. discussed this before that like when the dude answers the door in his towel and it accidentally falls down or like when you go to a house with absolutely no furniture in it and decide that you're going to have relations in the house. Like, are you doing this because you want to get caught? Like, is that the caught? intention? And like, I got to tell you, there are no real estate agents in the world that want to catch you fucking no! in a room. They just they don't want to no. do it. That's not the desire. No. So people in the world who are trying to surprise real estate agents with your relations <laughs> knock it off <laughs> well like do they realize that that is available for free that's what zoom is for <laughs> <laughs> that's what justin uses zoom for is that where the session is heading okay <laughs> hilarious um yeah it was uh it was amazing it was horrific also though because then I had to call the client <laughs> and tell him, listen, you know. Oh, it wasn't the client. No, it was his son. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Key plot point. So that was a fun you day. Call, you call the client. It's so funny because all of our stories from age, when, we, when we ask these questions to agents, almost everybody has a story about sex oh, yeah. toys, people banging yeah. in their listing. Like, what is Kelly, going people on? People are horrible people behind closed doors. That's what's going on. I had a listing and this gal's in her 20s and she's just something else. She's just one of the most interesting, cool, young women I've met in a long time. She's got it going on. The house is under contract. I, I happen to be leaving town. I get a call because there was supposed to be the final walkthrough. It's a few days before we're closing. Okay. So I get a call from the buyer's agent and she says, I, I don't know what happened to the key. I can't get into the house. Um, we need to get in. And it was just a weird set of circumstance. I, I can't remember if it was a contractor box issue. It doesn't matter. She couldn't get in. I'm so glad because I proceed to call my client. I couldn't get a hold of her. And then I text her and like, hey, the buyer's agent's at the door with with the buyer and, and they want to do this final walkthrough. And then my client immediately calls me back. She's like, they, they can't go in there. They just can't go in there right now. And I said, what do you mean? Did something happen to the house? Like, is everything OK? She's like, well, I had a sex party there last night and I didn't have time to clean up. Wow. <laughs> She just went straight in. <laughs> she was like, there's no getting around it. So here's what happened. Yeah, there's yeah. no time to mince words. I hope she left the windows open while she was gone or something. And <laughs> that place out. Donna, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, on the web. And my business name is 4D Real Estate. And I'm at Silver Creek Realty Group based in, um, well, we're the largest brokerage in Idaho. And uh, I serve the whole Treasure Valley. Fantastic. What's your web address? 4DRE-DonnaWade, D-O-N-N-A-W-A-D.com. I love it. Donna Wade is a real estate agent in Boise, uh, Idaho. Uh, she's been a dear friend of mine forever. Thank you so much for being on Behind the Yard Sign, Donna. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. It's been so much fun. And I, I really commend what you're doing. I've listened to all of the podcasts so far, and I will keep listening. It's a great place to learn and share. And you guys are super fun, so keep it up. All right. She 
is awesome. Do you love her? Donna what? is my favorite kind of crazy. <laughs> I have known that crazy chick since we were like, like literally like 16, 17 years old. It's, I wow. mean, and I'm 45 now. So it's like 30 years of friendship with this person. That, How lucky that am I? Is, she seems awesome. I love her stories. It seems like a theme that we've had a lot of really cool agents who do really well. And they have a vast uh, all over the place kind of career experience before they land on real estate. It's I think that's like the most interesting thing about this industry is that people come from everywhere to get here. I think it's just an important message for people who are getting started. I think success in real estate is really an emotional one because obviously the opportunity is there. Selling houses isn't going anywhere. And whether or not you can make it really has more to do with the ability to handle the rougher sides of, of owning your own business. In the very, very first days of owning Spade and Archer, I had no employees. I had just been fired from my job. I was at home all day with my husband and my son, and I was like going out for runs and taking naps. And I really wasn't beholden to anybody. I didn't have to show up because nobody was waiting for mm-hmm. me. We will totally go to bed later late because we're the only ones who have to suffer when we have to wake up early the next day, but we will not be late to a meeting because other people are waiting for us. There's a lot of social pressure around motivation. And when you are a sole proprietor, there is no social pressure. I mean, you got to meet your clients. You got to do that. But like, if there's no clients, you really could just kind of sit around and be like, "Eh, and that is so true because our first meeting every day is at (laughs) 7am. There's definitely needs to be a strong emotional drive to not want to let down other people on the team to get to your call at 7 a.m. every day. There's a reason why we start so early in the morning. Um, number one, we work four days a week. Yep. And so getting that 10 hours yep. into a day is is tough. So you got to start early. And it seems really funny like to do interior design or, or home staging and start at seven o'clock in the morning. And those meetings that we do, we do three meetings. The first one is with LA. Then we do Portland. Then we do Seattle. They're only 15 minutes yeah. long. I, I have always felt that if a meeting is longer than 15 minutes, if a meeting has more than three people and is longer than 15 minutes, it means the person who organized the meeting did not do their job. And so there is a very, very strict agenda that each of the office leads produces and says, this is what we're going to talk about today. We cover what happened yesterday, what's happening today, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in the distant future, and what are we doing in social media? And like we hit those five subjects three times in a row in 15 minute meetings, and then we're done. And by 745 in the morning, everybody is on their way and out the door. It is going. Those meetings are tough. But man, once we start, there's no stopping us. People would probably be really surprised how diligent we are about a lot of our systems and how many systems we actually have. And one of them, in terms of consistency, is messaging, which we're going to talk about right now. I can't really stand the word pivot anymore as much as we have been guilty of using it, but like everybody has used that word and beat it to death. But I do feel like we had to do that real quick. But for the most part, and then we have been very consistent with that new messaging we had to create. Just in terms of our brand, our design principles, what it is we do, how we explain it to our clients, how our process works. Sometimes I feel like it's a good problem to have that when I'm like typing out something new for social media or explaining people what we're doing, it's very repetitious. But that's a really important part of our brand. If any strong brand is that people can quickly identify and remember they have a quick recall on what it is you're about. I mean, in in any business, it's referred to as what's called the hedgehog concept. 
And the story goes that the hedgehog and the fox fight every single day. And every single day, the fox comes up with this just amazing idea. He It's so phenomenal. It's this brand new idea. He's going to build this thing. It's very much like Wile E. Coyote. He's going to build mm-hmm. this new trap and Wile E. Coyote is going to cra- trap the, the roadrunner. Well, the, the fox is very creative. He's, he has this new idea every single day and he comes up with this great idea and he and it runs and it goes flawlessly and it's great. And at the end of the day, the hedgehog rolls up into a ball and wins every single day. And here's the thing is that the fox's job, it's sexy. <laughs> Oh, it's so sexy. He gets to think up new stuff every single day. And the hedgehog's job is kind of fucking boring, man. He just rolls up into a ball. That's it. And in business, if you can find your hedgehog concept and roll up into that ball every single day, our hedgehog concept is we provide good pricing. We do guaranteed. It's instant. Everything is touchless. That's all right. We talk about the same things over and over and over and over again. That's our hedgehog concept. But the thing is, is that if you find that one thing that you're really flipping good at and you do it every single day, you win. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's everything we do over and over and over again. And I know you get sick of it. I know you get sick of typing the word words guaranteed home staging or instant pricing like it just gets so but old but it's what we do and it's what we do well and it's what we have to educate people on and it's what it's why our repeat customers come back to us is because they are enjoying those very specific and innovative aspects of our business that don't really exist anywhere else what's the evolution of our messaging it's taken a couple different forms over the years so with this idea of the evolution of messaging, let's just say that our, our listener, hi listener, nice that you're listening to us, thank you, is listening to this, it sounds really contradictory. How can you be both innovative and consistently mm-hmm. on brand all at the same time? How are you constantly changing and always doing the same exact thing? The key here is, I, I hate to even bring it up, it's so cliche, like white people love, uh, heroes love sushi. Or here, remember that, that documentary about that guy oh, named Hero who makes yes. sushi? So he makes consistently good sushi all the time, but uh, he said that his best day is when he can go to work and he can get just a little bit better than he was the day before. Mm -hmm. And so for me and my goal setting, my week is to try and implement one thing every single week that makes us just slightly better. So like this week, we added a sentence to one of our contracts that makes it so that we will be slightly safer in how we stage our houses, that there's slightly less risk for Mm us. The idea was that if we have a guaranteed home that's staged and somebody and the seller wants to lease the house out to a renter and have a renter live there while it's staged, well, we said that's not something we want to do. So let's add a sentence to our to our contract. That did not change our overall brand. That just made our brand just one step better than it was before. And so these are very, very small increments mental changes that we make. We're not going to throw away the baby with the bathwater every single time we innovate. We're going to make our brand just slightly better, just slightly cleaner every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year so that the brand continues to evolve. And every once in a great while, there's a leap. There's a leap in evolution where we get slightly better. And we talk about those things constantly. Day to day, your brand should not be changing every single day. It should be evolving very, very slowly over time. Does our our logo look different than it did five years ago? Yes. Would you be able to tell the difference by just uh, to be able to describe the difference if you didn't know our brand? You'd have no clue because we're doing just little nips and tucks. It's like good plastic surgery, right? If you can yeah. tell someone had plastic surgery, 
It's bad. If they yeah. just look well rested and you're like, you look great. Did you, what you, did you take a nap? Did you cut your hair? And that's what we're looking for to increase and improve our message all the time. It's just those little nips and tucks, not the like hatchet, you know, uh, you know, we want to end up like the cat lady. <laughs> I feel like all the things that we do innovate and the tools we come up with, all of those are reflections of the core values of our business. So that's why they look so consistent when they're executed. And that's the anchor, yeah. right? That's the yeah. anchor is the core values, which we have beat to death on this podcast. Right. If you don't have your core values yet, there's nothing to tether against. There's nothing to, sorry for the word, pivot on. There's no way to innovate against it because the core values aren't there, then you're just free floating and every day you're you're the fox you're creating a brand new business every single day whereas the hedgehog his core values is roll up in a ball and that's what he does over and over and over again do you feel like we were were we leaders or followers in terms of coming up with a message where we are better serving our clients did did we decide how we wanted to serve and we discovered over years and years how the messaging that best served our, our people or best conveyed what we were about. Was it two-way yeah. street or was it really a one-way street? I think it's a give and a take yeah. because we are on the phone or in person meeting with people every single day. And every single day, people are telling us what they like and don't like about our company. When we have problems is the biggest learning experience. That's when we go, oh, this is a problem. This is something we need to address. When people complain or they give us feedback that they're not happy, that is a sign. That's a message that says there's a problem with your business here. And this is where you need to make a change. And so in those instances, we are following where yeah. we are looking for our clients to be our leaders and to help us to improve. I love negative feedback. It is an opportunity for me to get better. Does it suck? Does it hurt? Does it feel like a kick in the balls? Yeah, it totally mm -hmm. does. But if I can get a little bit better, I can look at that and be thankful. Like, thank you so much because it would have taken me years to figure out why people hate me. And you just told me in three seconds. Now I understand. Now I can change. I can, oh God, here it comes sure. again, pivot and I get know. better. Once we have that information from our clients that are our leaders, then it is up to us to find the solution. And in that step, we become the leader and we say, okay, the last way that we were doing didn't work. Now we have to find a new system to make this work. This is the system that we're going to use now. And sometimes our clients are really resistant to change. Yeah. I mean, it is difficult on our website right now to find a way to schedule an appointment on our website because our website is now funneling you into instant pricing. Right. Once you have an instant price, there is a giant button on your instant price that says book a console or book a site visit. Like it forces you to make that next step to book a site visit. But a lot of people want to skip the instant pricing and go straight to the site visit because that's how our process used to be. And I got to tell you, man, they are scrappers. They will find a way to book that console before they have their instant pricing. And that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We call them up and we're like, oh, great, cool. We're going to do this instant pricing. We're going to do the site visit in a week from now. Why don't we get you an instant price now so you have the information? And they're like, fantastic, great, right. super. It's not that they don't want to do it. It's that they're used to the way we used sure. to do it. So fine, no problem. Yeah. We are not easily susceptible to other messaging that is out there. We really let it come from within. And I think that's a really big takeaway from that was echoed in Donna's interview as well, which was she just found so much peace and so much more success and joy by finding a, a lane that she carved out. But I think it's really important that she did have that beginner's mind 
and joined the team, saw what was there, experienced all those things, did the no thank you bite, did the no thank you bite to really find out who she wanted to be in this business and what aligned best for her. And so I think when we get a lot of really good feedback about our brand, just because we just don't match other people, we certainly don't have, I wouldn't say a philosophy of aversion to other things that are working in either real estate or home staging industry that work for other people. Like that's great. Like I think we're in the real estate ecosystem. We're all really just genuinely interested in serving the client and what works is great. I mean, like we didn't come up with the pay it close concept but we did implement it for the first time inside home staging because we knew that that is right. You know what I'm saying? We basically took a real estate agent's model yes. and said, Hey, let's get paid like that. I mean, it's like, it's not a new concept for the world. It's a very new concept. for exactly. home staging. In every type of art, in every type of design, we find inspiration from somewhere yeah. else. And that inspiration, what the difference between plagiarism and inspiration yeah. is that in plagiarism, you just take somebody else's idea and make it yours. With inspiration, you take somebody else's idea and you launch from yeah. it and become inspired by it. Every single piece of art, every single piece of design is inspired by something else. And it might be another piece of art. And a lot of opening this company and first starting out was me spending a lot of time in staged houses and figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like, what I think were failures and what I thought were successes, and really making a very strict list of rules that said, this is something that is good and this is something that is bad. Mm -hmm. And so paying attention to your competition is not necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but you also don't want to just blindly follow your competition because that's what they're doing and it works for them. That may not work for us. Just because it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for us. And we need to, you know, and I don't ever want to be accused of being a plagiarist. Like that just seems so weak and feeble. (laughs) We can't do what someone else has created better than they can. And no one can do what we do better than how we do it. I mean, we are, we are so specifically us. I mean, top to bottom. I talked to a home stager once. I was at like a home staging meeting. She walked over to me and she was like, oh, you're Justin Reardon with Spade and Archer. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, I tell everybody we're just like Spade and Archer, but we're we're less expensive. And I was like, oh, it wasn't that it was an insult to Spade and Archer. It's that I felt really sad for her that she kind of defined her creation, her whole business by me and by what we had done for our business. I said, well, I'm very flattered. Thank you so much for saying that. I said, but you're worth so much more than that. I didn't really know. Like, how do you reply? How do you reply to that? I don't know. (laughs) I think that I think there's a a very legitimate fear um, from entrepreneurs or agents or just people in the business space who are newer to the idea of creating their own brand. The thing is, a strong brand does close doors. And a lot of people want to be, you know, open to any business because it's like, yeah, sure, we'll take money from wherever it comes from. But that's just not how branding works. I mean, there might be people who look at our stuff and they're just like, oh, no, absolutely not. Yes, that occurs. That's a really critical part of business. And we're not a business that really wants to work with every single person because every single person doesn't align with our values either. It's just not it's not possible. possible. Every every business has their own clientele. And when people call me up and they say, oh, we totally want to work with Spade and Arch. We want our whole house to look just like Pottery Barn. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to be very disappointed because 
because we are not going to be able to make your house look like a pottery barn because we work very, very hard to make sure that nothing we own looks like it's from Pottery Barn. Um, not that Pottery Barn is bad. I'm not saying that Pottery Barn is bad. It's just that is not our aesthetic. And there are lots and lots and lots of really good and very talented Pottery Barn-esque homestagers out there. And the reason why we don't do that is because that market is saturated. And so I will often say like, hey, we're not your guys, but this is the person that I think that does Pottery Barn super well, and I'll give a recommendation for that homestager. And more than half the time, they'll be like, I don't wanna work with you guys. And I'm like, I get that. And if you're okay with a non-Pottery Barn aesthetic, then we should work together. But if you really want that Pottery Barn aesthetic, you should work with those people instead because they're going to give that to mm -hmm. you. And sometimes they stay and sometimes they don't. Ultimately, I'd rather disappoint somebody then than after I get the furniture in their house. <laughs> they're like, get this shit out of here. <laughs> So you have that real live experience to go on, which I think is just invaluable. And I'm sure new agents will develop those experiences over time themselves. It's, it's part of the ingrained new phase of business. I get to see the likes and the shares and who comments and who reacts and who sends emojis and who opens it and who clicks. And I get all this really tangible evidence on where our message is clicking and where it's not and how to how to keep doing that. Donna's journey with Facebook is a really valuable one because she figured out that the truest version of herself was to be fairly neutral with her online presence because she really just wanted to focus on selling homes and being of service and doing what she does best. And, and that's a really smart business decision because she gets to show up as her authentic self with compassion and service and all of these things, which is exactly why you'd want to hire her. Not to say that if you had a more activist tone in your online presence, not that that wouldn't work, but you have to be ready for it to close doors and be okay with that and be emotionally okay with that choice. I mean, we're in a crazy time. This last weekend was one of the most politically divisive on top of a global pandemic and social media is just flooded and finding your voice in an ocean of chaos is rough and figuring out who you are. How are you showing up? Are we saying something? Are we not saying something? How are we commenting? How are we going to be a part of this community? Am I a part of this community? What is my level of fight? And you know, like all of these things are so important. I think it's very difficult for people who are new to figure out because the worst thing you could do is sound tone deaf to not knowing what's going on or coming across insensitive or coming across as you think the most important thing in the world is yourself and your business. There are times to speak. There are times not to speak. And making a very conscious decision around that, we decided that our messaging during the beginning parts of the pandemic was all about doing things safely, being clean, doing good PPE practices and staying and the fact that we're still open. Once things turned into a political Michigas and the protest started and, and it became violent, there really was no voice for a home staging in that political environment. And so we shut down our messaging for a couple of days um, because ultimately it is not a home stager's position to take a political stance. And that was really difficult because, um, you know, I'm a gay man who's married to a man and I have a black son. And this is incredibly personal to me and it does scare the shit out of me. Um, my business was not the place to have my political platform laid out. And, you know, when I think about 
what I'm doing on a daily basis to help the situation is that I am raising my son in a way that he is political aware and that he is able to keep himself safe. You know, I made a commitment that in real life and in presence that when somebody says something that's racist, I would no longer try to laugh it off, that I would actually address it head on and not just reach out and call somebody a racist, but rather just say, well, here's the point of view that we have in my family and I'm raising a black son and this is how we feel about that thing. I have found that to be so much more rewarding. Then again, there is also a time and a place. Is Spade and Archer the right platform to put out all of my political and religious beliefs? Sure. Probably not. But as a human being, that's that's my thing. And my Justin Reardon is not necessarily Spade and Archer, and Spade and Archer is not necessarily Justin Reardon. So it's it's what's so difficult about it too is sometimes social media is not the platform for complexity. And you like yeah. your experience and your story and your life is rich with complexity. How can we explain that in any kind of social media content where people are scrolling? Like I'd rather it just be if other people have effective messaging that is relevant and is moving people to or influencing them another way. It's like I'd rather them kind of have the social media real estate. <laughs> I don't think people right. need to hear about their <laughs> the opinions of their local homestager. Um, we certainly right. are and, and do take our role seriously as being part of the community. We absolutely do. We are in these communities. We're there every day. We're there day. every day. Yeah. They know exactly what we're about and what we stand for. And I think that's part of the brand that we, that we carry. Figuring out who you're talking to, what you're saying, what about you is going to influence your ideal demographic for your business. All of that's really key. I think just takes time. So it's like you really have to keep applying that beginner's mindset until you're finding that sweet spot where you, you know and you can see how much you're influencing people. It is a very difficult thing to do and it is really hard. You know, Donna talked about that idea that she got into a political discussion and got smacked down. She got smacked. It's tough in this day and age to be able to write things and like even the other day I, I posted I put a post up and I just said you know what are the what are the phrases that that drive you crazy or the things that people say that are incorrect that you just can't stand like like my mom says library instead of library library instead of library right it's like a very innocent <gasps> post and halfway through somebody wrote like you know it's racial discrimination to not hire somebody who does up talk and up talk is like when you say something like this <laughs> and you say, I went to Harvard and I got a degree in entomology. And you're like, did you? I don't know. And and basically like halfway, like 400 comments in, somebody said like, if you don't hire somebody because they up talk, you're a racist because they were raised in Southern California and that's how everybody in Southern California talks. I was like, you know what? We're not going to go right. there on my page. Right. That's not going to be part right. of it. So I literally just deleted the comment. And I think that we have a choice on our own pages as to what goes on them and what doesn't go on them. And like the way we behave on social media in a public platform, people would never say that shit in person to each also, other. Yes, that's and also true. I, like we have a policy as Spade and Archer. Employees are not disciplined in front of other employees. Like it's just, that just does not happen. You know, unless somebody is in imminent danger and you're like, duck, you know, it just, we don't do that because it is so embarrassing yeah. to the person who's being disciplined. And ultimately it really only makes the discipliner look like shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's all there comes down to it. We have an internal culture that's enforced or reinforced consistently by our internal messaging, which I think is really important too, like how we conduct business with ourselves. Yeah. And then we have external messaging. Right. I mean, it, both of them are really important. And like, as our company is growing, which it is, you know, those things are more important than ever. Very important and very different from each other. 
Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, well, that was a really awesome discussion, Justin. Why don't you close us out and tell people where to find us, what they're looking for, and all the cool things we have going on. If you have a story you'd like to tell, reach out to us. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Our theme music is composed by Joff Metz and performed by Joff Metz. Our special guest was Donna Wade. And my partner is Kelly Ann Hanahan. Kelly, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Really fun, Justin. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.